It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Makai Becton, ladies and gentlemen, human beings that large should not run as fast as Makai Becton did. And if you like people just abusing other humans, the Makai Becton tape is for you. Denzel Mims with another monster score of 70 yards. Quick pass to Crowder trying to get him out of the space. Slopes a tackle, and there he goes. Crowder, it's a foot race, and Crowder is in there. A 69-yard touchdown. Takes a shot, hands Corey Davis, wide open. Davis still going, and he's in for the touchdown. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff. You know and that's <laughs> the q Oh, my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the playlikeajet.com digital studios, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at playlikeajet1. And I want to do a little series that I'm calling Outside Looking In, where we talk to people who cover the other teams in the AFC East and get their thoughts on what the Jets have done this offseason and where they're at right now as we head into the 2021 season. Of course, training camp will come first. And so we'll kick this off with our good friend. I appear on their show all the time, Chris Kruger and Drew Gear, the Rock Pile Report. So Drew is here to talk about the Jets from a Bills perspective. Drew, what's going on, buddy? Not much. Not much. We're hanging outside. Uh, it's a good day here in Western New York. It's warm. Uh, I got a sleeveless shirt on. Uh, <laughs> I'm about to crack a beer. Life, life can't get much better than that, can it? I suppose if the Bills get into the Super Bowl, it could get better than that. Probably. Yeah, that would definitely top it. But for right now, I'll take what I can get. <laughs> Fair enough. So let's talk about the Jets from the Bills' perspective, and we'll begin with the first major domino to fall, the axing of Adam Gase and the hiring of Robert Sala. What did you think about Robert Sala coming in here as the new head coach of the New York Jets and the staff that he ended up hiring? Robert Sala is super interesting. I like the guy, and I, I hate saying that. I hate saying nice things about the Jets in general. Like, it's, <laughs> but I like it. And the reason why I like it is because it's something different, different philosophically. I think it underscores that this team is willing to try new things and that it's willing to think a little bit outside of the box that they've kind of put themselves in over the last season or two under Adam Gase and kind of, you go back to the Rex Ryan, the last Jets coach hire that seemed to pan out and seemed to work. It, it worked because you got a coach who brought in a blade. Now, say what you want about Rex Ryan and how the results ended up and the relationship deteriorated and how that all ended, but you'd have a hard time arguing with back-to-back AFC you know, championship game appearances. You can't argue with that. He brought a swagger to the Jets. He brought a brand and his personality to the team. Adam Gase had no personality. The man was just this weird enigma he made a bunch of goofy faces. He alienated a lot of people behind the scenes, including his quarterback. It, it was just so now it's this almost seems refreshing for the Jets to get somebody in the building who has an idea for what he wants the identity of his team to be and seems to be well liked enough by everyone involved to maybe execute. Play like a Jet. Play like a Jet. So, Drew, after the Jets hired Robert Sala, next up was free agency. 
And they made some moves. They didn't go buck wild, but they got some impact players. Carl Lawson, who I know wasn't high on your pass rusher efficiency chart that you made, and I'll let you talk about that a little bit. They went out and got Corey Davis, Keelan Cole, LaMarcus Joyner. So there were some additions that were made here in free agency, some money spent. What did you think about what the Jets did in free agency? The Jets in free agency, like that's that's an interesting one because you guys, I, I will say that you guys are in this position where a couple of years ago it was both the Bills and the Jets who went into free agency with a boatload of cash at their disposal. Now the Jets are back in that back in that position, albeit with uh, I think arguably more work than almost any team in the AFC to do laid out in front of them. Uh, and so when they had money to spend, but they also had holes. But I think when you look at what the Jets did in free agency, you do, you see that there's kind of a plan here. I mean, they, they, they found guys who at their best could step in and be a very good number one at multiple positions. They also found depth pieces, which I think is important because that was one of the things that the Jets clearly did not have at any position last year. And for a defense that's changing formats, I, we saw it here in Buffalo when Sean McDermott arrived and started changing Rex Ryan's 3-4 scheme into a 4-3. It, it, I mean, we made the playoffs in the first year, but you saw that there were some incomplete pieces, you know, some position groups that really weren't as fleshed out as you'd like them to be because you had guys playing out of position or filling roles that they probably wouldn't be on any other football team that was – that a coach had really had a chance to lay out. So I like what the Jets did in the regard of going out and finding guys that could infuse certain position groups, like on the defense. You know, Rankins, he's a good 4-3 defensive tackle. He's a three-tech. I think he's going to do bring a skill set to the table, even if it's not at a world-beater level, that the Jets' defensive tackle group didn't exactly have a natural fit for coming in. You know, you, you look and you see that they go out and get a LaMarcus Joyner. He's a multifaceted athlete. He can do a lot of different things for your secondary. So it gives you some flexibility there as well, especially for a D coordinator who likes to do some unorthodox things with his safeties. Um, Vinny Curry, I thought was kind of funny because until I saw you guys sign him, I didn't even know he was in the NFL. <laughs> that's, that's just me being honest. Um, uh, G- Gerard Davis, you know, the failed linebacker up in Detroit. I mean, he fills an inside linebacker role. I don't know how much he's going to bring, but as a depth piece, you know, you're talking about a team that CJ Mosley, you guys signed him to a, a huge contract and he hasn't, he hasn't really been on the field enough to show you whether or not that was a good investment. And behind, behind that, you didn't have a whole lot of depth over the last few years, which, precipitated some really ugly defensive performances. So I think that bringing in some depth at some of these places for you guys is going to pay dividends. Um, But the elephant in the room, the Carl Lawson signing, that's probably the one. And Scott, we've talked about this. That's the one I take umbrage with. Now, Mm -hmm. why do you think it is that I don't like that signing? Well, I'm assuming it has to do with your pass rusher efficiency chart. Well, it has to do with that. It also has to do with, I thought he would have been perfect for the Buffalo Bills. Okay, so it, 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 I believe in honesty, right? So I'm willing to tell you, I'm man enough to admit that I'm a little jealous. There's a part of me that said, when I saw it, I was like viscerally angry. When I saw that you guys had signed him. But 
I think this, the reason I don't like this for you guys specifically is because you're, you're transitioning defenses. You're going to a 4-3 defense. And when I look at the depth chart for the Jets at defensive end, I, I don't know that there's a ton of guys who are natural pass rush fits as a 4-3 defensive end. So Carl Lawson, he does a lot of nice things. But when you look at those efficiency metrics that I cooked up, which you put over at your website over at Play Like a Jet, one of the things that jumps out to me, Carl Lawson, the, the big thing about him is that he's got so much potential. Yeah, you know, what, five and a half sacks last year, uh, 44 pressures. So 44 pressures is pretty impressive. The fact that he's able to generate, I mean, some of the NFL's best pass rushers are up in the 50s and 60s, and those are the top-level guys. So the fact that he's getting around the quarterback and being disruptive, that's good. But then I look at his tackles for a loss, and I see he only has four. Now, for a guy who's penetrating the line of scrimmage that well, it strikes me as odd that he can't he's, – he's not able to bring down ball carriers in the backfield. And some of that has to do with some stiffness in his game. He's not as, he's not as fluid of an athlete – but the pressure to stack conversion rate of his being just 12.5% is one of the lowest of this entire free agent defensive end class. He's getting pressures. He just doesn't turn that into a sack or into a tackle for loss. And the problem would be is that – and that's all well and good. You know, it's not, it doesn't make him a terrible player. He's still doing the thing. He's being disruptive behind the line of scrimmage. I could see bringing in a guy like that. When I was thinking about him for the Bills, I was thinking, okay, Carl Lawson on a two-year, you know, a two-year, ten million dollar a year deal or an eight million dollar a year deal with incentives to kind of see if he can ever scratch the surface, get to be the player that it looks like he could progress to be if put in the right scheme or with the right coaching. And instead, you guys backed up the Brinks truck and you started paying him as if he's already Miles Garrett. To me, I that is a terrifying prospect. Because if he doesn't pan out, or let's say that what he is right now is all he continues to be, now you don't look at that as being I – because mean, if you're the Cincinnati Bengals and you're playing him on a rookie contract, that's great. You're, you're seeing huge return on the investment there for him. If you're a team who invests $10 million a year in this player, you're not seeing as great a return on investment, but it's not going to kill you. When you look at the guaranteed money you guys threw at him, tying yourselves to him for a significant period of time, and also just the concept of the money that could have been, you know what I mean, where the, what else that money could have gotten you, that's a hard pill for, for me to swallow. If I would counter that, Drew, it would be by saying that that's just the market for pass rushers, and they're only tied to him for two years. It's a three-year deal, but as you know, these things are never actually the length of time that they say it is, yeah, the maximum time is three years, but the guarantees are done after the first two. So it's really a glorified two-year contract. I think with Lawson, the main thing here is I like to look at pressure rates because that shows me much more about the quality of pass rusher the guy is. The pressure to sack conversion rate doesn't bother me all that much because if you look at the law of averages, it's just bound to even out. He had five and a half last year, but now, of course, you put him on the Jets. 
in Robert Sala's defense with all those guys up front, including Quinn and Williams. And I'm not really all that worried about him being able to get X amount of sacks. I think sacks are kind of an overrated way to view a pass rusher anyway. I think it's how disruptive are you. Ultimately, 100%. And that's is like the tackles for loss number scares me a little bit for a guy who's getting that many pressures. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're capable of getting 44 pressures, you're behind the line of scrimmage a ton. So to know that you're not bringing down the ball carrier behind the line of scrimmage more often, that would give me a little bit of pause. Like that's, that's one of those metrics that I look at and I say, okay, you can't tell me how good a player is just by looking at sacks, because if that's the case, there's a million guys who go out and have one or two. I mean, Trey Hendrickson, you know, the the reason I build this efficiency chart, Mm -hmm. Trey Hendrickson has a higher sack to pressure to sack ratio than uh, TJ Watt. Do we all believe he's the next TJ Watt? Probably not. I mean, he came out of nowhere with one electric season and that got him paid a boatload of cash. But is he, is that sustainable? With loss and pressures have been sustainable. So now the question is, can he take the next step? Like I said, my only thing, like I didn't, the thing that made me kind of wipe my brow and go, okay, I guess I'm not that mad about them getting Carl Lawson was when I saw the dollars involved. But to your point, that was the pass rusher market. I mean, every Bills fan everywhere was pounding the table for free agency going, the Bills have to do something to, to, to fix their pass rush. And when you saw the contracts that started to be doled out, you almost knew right off the bat the Bills would not be a major player. I mean, we, we, we signed F.A. Obata, who, not for nothing, I mean, his pressure to sack conversion rate last year was 18.9. He's got, what, he finished with five and a half sacks, the same as Lawson, although he goes about getting them a different way. And he's a different type of player. He rushes from the interior instead of the edge, but he's very good at setting the edge versus the run. But we paid $1.5 million for that guy. (laughs) And that was bargain shopping once there was no jobs left and he didn't have a choice. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's it's something that could work. And I think overall in free agency, you guys did a really good job of finding ways to buoy the base level of talent on what is a defense that's transitioning away from what you've been over the last few years. I mean, if I could nitpick anything else other than Carl Lawson, which, hey, don't get me wrong, he's, he's still going to be a good player for you guys. I, I, I'm a little concerned about the lack of money spent in the secondary. I mean, are there Jets fans that feel the same way? Yeah, at cornerback, certainly. I think everybody's waiting to see if they make a move after June 1st and there are cuts because right now you've got Bless Austin and Bryce Hall and Bryce Hall showed some promise last year but he only started a handful of games after coming off injured reserve as a fifth round rookie Bless Austin is not a starter everybody knows that so the Jets don't really have a second starting cornerback Steven Nelson is the name that everybody's been talking about including me I hope they're able to get a deal done there he's out there he's a very good cornerback It's just a matter of making the money work But I'm curious to see where they end up In terms of the veteran cornerback market But you're right, that is one position I understand that they can't fix everything In one fell swoop But with Steven Nelson out there I'm hoping that they're able to do something I thought they'd probably do a little bit more in the draft They did draft a bunch of defensive backs But not until later on And that's where we get to now, the draft What did you think of what the Jets did? They seemed to get a lot of compliments All the way around, very few people were criticizing their draft. Seems like most people liked that they went predominantly offense, especially in the early picks. What did you think? So everyone knew Zach, the Zach Wilson pick was coming. And I find it funny that, you know, (laughs) 
I we joke about it on our show that I don't know who the more awkward white guy in the AFC East is. Like, is it your quarterback? Is it Mac Jones? I mean, we see the walk to the podium. We see Zach. Just every. I feel like Zach. He's going to take a ton of flack because he's a Mormon and he just looks uncomfortable every time he's out in public with the team. I mean, am I the only one who feels that way? I'm sure you. I'm sure you've seen the tweets and the various things gone viral about it, right? Yeah, I don't think it's really that he's uncomfortable. It's just something he's getting used to. But he seems to be building a really nice rapport with his teammates, which is a very positive well, thing, that's... as you know, from the Josh Allen situation. Oh, 100%. And don't get me wrong. Josh Allen, I mean, there's videos like all the teammates dancing and running around and stuff. Josh Allen might be one of the most awkward human beings. He runs like a toddler. <laughs> he runs like a toddler. They show him like when he's just trying to jog at half speed. It's almost like the man, if he if he's not running full speed on a football field, he's just jogging, He you'd almost think his kneecaps didn't work right. And I'm like, how did you get so awkward? How does this awkward human being play NFL football? So it's like there's a race here to see who the most awkward, and he can't dance worth a damn. The Bills players, you know, they went before the Colts game, they were dancing at practice. Josh has no moves. I'm like, they're all, it's a three way competition to see who the most awkward white dude in the AFC East can be. And Zach Wilson, he's in there in the running, but everyone knew that was going to be the pick. So after that is where I really had to grit my teeth and admit that I liked the Jets draft. Night two of the draft is winding down, and I'm saying to myself in my head, I'm like, man, I don't like <laughs> I don't like the fact that they're here, that they've managed. I mean, Elijah Vera Tucker, you traded up for him. Fans everywhere were pissed about it. I don't understand. I, can you maybe shed some light? Well, what is it? Maybe you could shed some light for me. Why would you overvalue if the player turns out to be as good as you think he can be? on the interior offensive line for a team who's failed miserably, in my opinion, in the last few years in that regard, why wouldn't you want that? In fairness, Drew, it's not just your opinion. They have failed miserably at that position. That's just a straight <laughs> fact, if we're being honest about it. No, I don't think most fans were upset about it, to be honest with you. As far as I can tell, I haven't really had too many people tell me they didn't like the move. Everybody seems to be bullish on it. If anything, it's been the national media and even some of the local media that have been questioning it, particularly the analytics people that have been saying that the Jets overpaid. But as you said, A, that's why you have the extra draft capital. And B, if you think this kid's going to be an elite player, especially when you just drafted a quarterback and especially when you just saw what happened to the last guy you drafted that you failed to protect with elite talent, well, I don't really think it's that big of a deal if you pay a little bit above sticker price to get him, if that's the guy that you really think can make the difference. No, no, absolutely not. And then getting Michael Carter, where you guys got him, he was, one to me, one of the more, just because of the price tag, some of these running backs, like you knew, you knew that Najee Harris and Travis Etienne were talked about as being you know, highly drafted rookies. There was a lot of conversation about the Bills potentially trading up to get uh, ETN. So you knew that the running back pool, the top end talent was probably going to thin out pretty quickly. So to know that you guys were able to get a running back of that talent where you did in the fourth round, I thought that was just a, a fantastic value pick, especially because when you have a rookie quarterback, you need a dynamic running back to take some of the pressure off. That's what the Jets thought they were doing when they signed Le'Veon Bell. 
And that experiment went horribly just because his running style, the state of the offensive line, it just was a horrible fit. Adam Gase's offense, <laughs> everything that could have gone wrong there did. So this second time around, they're try- I-, I like the fact that they're swinging again to accomplish that because I really do think it helps fast track the development of a quarterback when you have a rushing game you can rely on. Um, the one pick I found that probably the most interesting is this Elijah Moore pick. It's not even because I'm worried about what his projection to the NFL is, but I have this thing that I do analytics. Like I'm watching the draft, and you've done enough podcasts with me to know that I'll see random things, and I get a you know, something sticks in my craw, and I'm off just researching data, uh, making spreadsheets and charts just to prove some main point. So as I'm watching the draft play out, now you guys draft Elijah Moore. And I'm like, oh, okay, that guy in the division, okay, he seems like a small but fast kind of water bug wide receiver, but he's got a lot of explosion to his game. And I'm watching the draft play out, and I'm just like, you know, it seems like there's a lot of small wide receivers, a lot of them. And this is just on night two. And so I start questioning, when's the last time – the NFL ever just got flooded with small wide receivers. So I took a look back since 2010. So it's 11 years worth of drafts. There hasn't been a single draft class that out of the top 64 picks, like when you look at all the wide receivers that got taken now, this last year set the record for the most wide receivers drafted in the top. I think the top two rounds, it was 13 Mm -hmm. and this year threatened to beat that. But the number of guys under 6'1 and under 200 pounds had never been more than 33%. This year, it was 77% of all the wide receivers drafted in the top two rounds were under 6'1 and under 200 pounds. Everyone's trying to do this Tyreek Hill thing. and what That, that scares me. As someone who just understands, like I've seen the history of the NFL, I've watched it for years. <sighs> what are the odds that every single one of these guys is going to turn out to be Tyreek Hill? Because if these guys don't develop into elite route runners, all that speed and athleticism, you're essentially Isaiah McKenzie. (laughs) For the Buffalo Bills is not a terrible thing they have on offense, but anywhere outside of five, six, seven yards, unless they're throwing them into a wide open window and you can scheme them open, they don't bring a ton of extra value to your offense. Is there any fear from Jets fans or that might transpire here? Or are you sold on this guy's skill set that his route running can reach the level that would allow him to be a Tyreek Hill-esque player for you? I don't know if I think he's going to be Tyreek Hill, but I will say this. He's an elite route runner, has phenomenal hands, and has top-end speed. So when you put those three things together, you have a potentially dangerous weapon I've had a couple of different comparisons made. I like the comparison of a faster version of Antonio Brown. Now, I'm not saying that he's going to be as good as Antonio Brown. I'm just saying that there is some correlation there in terms of the size and the route running. If you watch his route running, these guys are falling on their faces. As I was joking on draft night, it was like watching Darren Williams back in his Utah Jazz days with that crossover dribble where guys would just trip and fall because they couldn't hang. And then you look at a guy like Stefan Diggs, who's also an exceptional route runner. So there's a little bit of that, although Diggs is a couple inches taller. But I'm not worried about it. I think he has the skills that he needs. 
ultimately, you got to separate as a wide receiver. That's what you have to do. Whatever separation tools you need to have, whether it's size, mm-hmm. whether it's hands, whether it's speed, he's got three elite separation tools. So I think he's going to be a really good player. And I like the fact that he's already bonding with Zach Wilson. So I'm not really all that concerned about that particular pick. I do think it's funny, though, Drew, that trend towards the smaller wide receivers because we see this all the time. The NFL is very much a copycat league. So when something works for one team, it's like what happened with the Bills with Josh Allen. You get a guy who has this skill set And you consider them moldable And then you go out and you draft guys That you think could potentially Replicate what Josh Allen Has done and you and I have said 99 out of 100 times Josh Allen Doesn't work out and that he's going to Ultimately end up getting a lot of coaches And general managers fired I'm not Comparing Trey Lance to Josh Allen necessarily But I do wonder If without Josh Allen's success We would have seen Trey Lance Picked At number three overall Because I think now there is this tendency That started a little bit with Mahomes Got kicked into high gear with Josh Allen That if you can just find a guy Who's coachable and has the traits That's more important than anything else To some of these coaches and decision makers Oh 100% I think that there is And there's going to be We still don't know what Josh Allen's Where his career His developmental arc ends I mean, last year he exploded to a degree that nobody could have predicted. You know, not even the most optimistic Bills fan would tell you that he would play as well as he played last year. Mechanically, he's a different quarterback, so I think it's replicatable. But then he remastered the mechanics of throwing the football. He literally – it's funny. He said it on the Pat McAfee show. He went on the Pat McAfee show, and he was telling Pat that he went to this program where they hook you up to a bunch of sensors, and they – they show you a map of your body and how your muscles work in concert, what muscles fire when in your throwing motion. And they teach you how to tweak your throwing mechanics. And when he got up there, when it was his turn to go in front of this room full of other quarterbacks, the guys flat out told him, you must do something right because you made it to the NFL, but you're a mess. Your, your wrist is firing and your bicep and your arm is firing before you've started turning your hips. Your mechanics are garbage. So he broke down and rebuilt everything he does mechanically as a quarterback, and you saw the result of that. Not a whole lot of quarterbacks can do that. Not a whole lot of them have the desire to do that. And so he is going to get a lot of people in trouble, and I think trend chasing can definitely end up that way. I mean, one of the things about small wide receivers that, you know, the difference between a Mecole Hardman, yeah. Okay, perfect example. When you look at some of these guys who have been drafted, you've got guys who pan out. You know, Odell Beckham, Brandon, Brandon Cooks, he hasn't been a star, but he's been good. You look at some of the names of players who have been good at that size over, over the course of history. Tyree kills one of them. But then you look at John Ross. Corey Coleman and Philip Dorsett, Devin Smith. <laughs> Jets fans should remember that name, Devin Smith. These were all guys who, when you when you don't have size and physicality, you have to learn how to defeat jams at the line of scrimmage. You have to develop elite route running for the NFL because you're going to run into elite cornerback play. And you have to develop deep speed, uh, an extra gear in your game. And if you can't, because if you can't do that, you're not going to win with size down the field. I mean, we're seeing the Buffalo Bills. I think one of the smartest things they did was that when everyone else is in this world of going small at wide receiver, we went big. 
Uh, we drafted Gabe Davis at six four. We drafted Isaiah Hodgins at six foot three or four. I think he is. Uh, we've got Duke Williams at six foot three. We've got a whole boatload of wide receivers who are all six foot six foot one, two hundred pounds and taller and bigger. And that seems to run counter to this trend in the NFL right now. And so it's just that Elijah Moore pick to me. I mean, if that one pans out for you guys, then this draft is an absolute home run. I, I mean, it, obviously late round picks, they're, they're kind of dart throws anyway. Mm-hmm. Let's face it, all of the draft is dart throws. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. But higher in the draft, you're hoping to land blue chip talents. And I think you guys did a great job of that. Elijah Moore's a question mark. And that's the thing that if it pans out, this is the foundation that you guys could rebuild this franchise. I think if they have the kind of draft that some people think this may have been, then this could be the turning point for the team. But that remains to be seen, obviously. And that leads into my final question for you, Drew. As a Bills fan, outside looking in, when you take a look at the roster, the coaching staff, everything in its totality, what do you think about the Jets heading into this year and then going forward past this year? On a scale of 1 to 10, how nervous are you to play them twice this year? And how nervous are you for the Bills to have to play them twice every year going forward for the next couple of years? Okay, well, I'll answer this in a couple parts. First of all, it's uh, we'll talk about the present. Here in the present, I, I want to give you guys credit, but also I know what it looks like. I know what it looks like when you tear down a 3-4 defense and try to turn it into a 4-3 defense. Quinn and Williams, I watched the kid's whole career because I'm, I'm a huge Alabama fan. He is a, he's this explosive, just he's a, he's a physical freak. He's, he's the player that Marcel Darius was supposed to be for us. I'll put it that way. He's the player that Marcel Darius was supposed to be when we drafted him at number three overall. So in that way, you you guys are going to make this transition, but you're going to have so there's going to be a feeling out process. You're going to bring in some ends who or you're going to have guys playing defensive end and defensive tackle who maybe don't fit an exact role. Their bodies, they in theory could do certain things, but they're going to have to acclimate to it. And it's there's going to be a growing process in that. You're also starting a rookie quarterback. Rookie quarterbacks historically don't go on to have great seasons out of the box. It's just, it's not a common occurrence. And that's it's underscored, I think, most specifically by Bill Belichick's ridiculous win percentage against rookies. I think he's 26 and I, I want to say now it's like 26 and eight against rookies. But that's because it's very easy to fool a rookie quarterback or fluster them. Because rookies come into the NFL saying, hey, here's this skill set that I currently hold. But there's tape on it by game one, two, three. You know, three games in, now NFL defensive coordinators have some tape on it. So in that way, they can take away these things that you're relying on, the tools that you brought to the NFL with you. Now, great quarterbacks will just pivot and do something differently. They'll find a different target or they'll say, okay, they're defending me this way or they're showing me this pre-snap look and then they're rotating the safeties post-snap. I'm going to catch them by doing X. And rookies don't have that. So they struggle out of the gate a lot of times. I expect that Zach Wilson's probably going to face some of those same struggles. So in that way, I think a good season for you guys this year is probably you guys flirt with a winning record. I mean, our schedule this year as a division isn't that hard. 
you guys, by virtue of the fourth place finish, will get a few easier non-divisional opponents. I think that if things pan out and if Salah really does a good job of kind of, like I said earlier in the show, bringing an identity to this team, let's be physical, let's be accountable, let's play hard-nosed football. Let's not be quitting in the third quarter and fourth quarter of games. If they can do that, this is a team that can flirt with a winning record. Having said that, I also, you and I were joking earlier today, that I feel good knowing that my quarterback has put up at least a one, at least one 300-yard game and had at least one game of more than 30 points against every defensive-minded head coach in this division. I think that for this year, especially with the lack of significant draft capital being assigned to addressing the secondary and the lack of free agent moves to shore up that position – I really think that it's going to be hard for you guys to suppress a heavy passing attack the way Buffalo has theirs currently constructed. I don't see it being a problem for Buffalo this year. Next year, though, mm-hmm. you guys, now you're talking about you've got another year to address more things along your defensive front seven. If you happen to find some things that work in there this year, and this becomes the foundation that you can build off of in next year's draft, in next year's free agency period, that's when you're going to start to see some of those, your secondary is going to start getting addressed. Maybe you guys find some steals in these late-run defensive backpacks. And in that way, this whole thing could come, it could round into form pretty quickly. I mean, that's what Sean McDermott did here for our defense. I expect Robert Sella got the job because they have a good idea of how he's going to get yours there. And if that happens, it just comes down to the quarterback. And you, then we can be talking about in 2021, 20, or 22, we can be talking about you guys really threatening to make some noise in the division. Is that fair? Yeah, absolutely. And I will also point out that even though Bill Belichick has largely dominated rookie quarterbacks, two of the rookie quarterbacks that he lost to were Geno Smith and Mark Sanchez. So if they could do it, who knows? Maybe Zach Wilson can too. And if there was ever going to be a time for the Jets to beat the Patriots, it feels like now would be that time. But I'm with you. I think that this year... The Jets are probably in for a five-win type of season, but I'm not really looking at that as the important thing. The important thing is, are the pieces that they're putting in place starting to really come together? Does Zach Wilson have a good rookie year? If those things happen, then, as you said, the Jets can really start making some noise in 2022 and 2023. But it's going to be an interesting AFC East this year and probably for many more years with Josh Allen, Tua Tagovailoa, Zach Wilson and Mac Jones now potential for some really fun matchups in the division and we'll start seeing them in a couple of months in September when the 2021 season starts Drew Gear, my buddy he's the host of the Rock Power Report <laughs> podcast but Chris is his producer and sidekick I guess that's fair right Chris wouldn't say that's that fair. he's a full co-host right Chris, here, here's the thing. So our podcast has this funny dynamic. Like, I know you do these solo. You'll do them or you do them with guests that you'll bring in. And then you do the production and you host the show. I'm a gorilla. Okay, I'm in there. I'm an orangutan. If you sat me down in front of a computer to try to produce a podcast, I'd be lost within 15 minutes. <laughs> in fact, I think I've after I think after a six pack, I once threatened him with producing the show because I thought he was doing it wrong. And he laughed at me. Roll this computer chair away from the thing and let me go with it. And in 10 minutes, I'd butchered everything. 
<laughs> so what it is is I bring the content creation and I kind of spur the conversation. You know, I'll talk to our guests. You and I, when you come on our show, you and I do a lot of the back and forth. Chris is always good for a one-liner. He'll throw some zingers in there. And he's the reason that I don't sound awful. <laughs> he's the reason our podcast is listenable. So really, he's the star of the show. I just get credit for being host. How can people find you on social media and how can they download the Rock Pile Report? Rock Pile Report, you can find it on all of your major podcatching apps. Uh, we're at Rock Pile Report on Twitter. We named it that because we hold season tickets in the Rock Pile and have for the better part of a decade. So, in fact, this will be our 11th season. Although I don't think last season counts. So, this is our like 10 years of attending Bills games. So, it, it was just kind of a fun thing we threw together. And the name seems, I like the alliteration, or at least the. <laughs> I like the fact that it flows off the tongue, but at Rockpile Report on Twitter. Again, all your major podcatching apps. Or you can always shoot us an email, rockpilereport716 at gmail.com. One of the things I believe in, you know, take Scott's word for it. If you go over to playlikeajetlag.com, you can see the chart that I made breaking down. We referenced it a couple times in the show, the pass rushing efficiency chart of everybody who, all the defensive ends who are out there in free agency this year. I generate these things mostly just to satisfy my own mania about football. I like to track data, chart it, try to find a way to make it make sense. And I believe in sharing that information. So if anybody ever wants anything or you, we, I, we talk about a chart on a show that you're interested in, email me. I'll shoot you a copy of it. Again, rockpilereport716 at gmail.com. There you go. If you want a copy of the pass rusher efficiency chart that Drew put together, and it's the reason why I was a little bit nervous that the Jets were going to get Trey Hendrickson, and then when they pivoted to Carl Lawson, I was a lot happier. Don't get me wrong. Hendrickson certainly would have been an upgrade over what the Jets have been running out there at edge rusher for the last couple of years, but still, that chart, very informative. So if you want a copy of it, check it out, or you can head over to playlikeajet.com where we've got lots of great content. We've got plenty of great content on our YouTube channel, too. Kayla Pace has her commentaries, Pace's playbook, and we've got a bunch of film breakdowns from Luke Grant. Still, our number one film breakdown is Kendrick Green, who was picked in the third round, the guard from Illinois. You're probably thinking that's weird. Why would it have 11,000 views on a Jets YouTube channel when the Jets didn't even draft Kendrick Green? And the reason is because he was drafted by the Steelers. Steelers fans went to YouTube, typed in Kendrick Green, and boom, Luke's review popped up. So be like Steelers fans. I'm not going to say this a lot, but in this instance, be like Steelers fans and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Check out all our videos there as well. And if you haven't given us a five-star review on iTunes yet, if you could go ahead and do that for us, really appreciate it. Easy way to help out the show if you like what we're doing. doesn't take you much time. doesn't cost you any money, but it goes a long way to help us out. So if you go ahead and do that for us, we'd be quite grateful. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts and content, you know where to go. That's Play Like a Jet Digital and playlikeajet.com.